Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 647. Science Faction, don't call it a backflow. So, Bobby, uh, last time you and I met up, I channeled a dead scientist. I basically uh, broke many of the laws of the physical world that you seem to believe are impossible. I, I showed the existence of an afterlife. I, I even brought in a regular human scientist, James Clerk Maxwell. Uh, I didn't know that at the mm. time, but going back and listening to it, that's a scientist mm-hmm. who, who came in. And the fa- by the way, the, the, this happened, by the way. Agree to disagree. Behind but, a paywall. Yeah. Fans, this uh-huh. th- fans who have not dipped into Bobby's cult of of science, mm. quote unquote, know that he hid this interview behind a paywall uh, because he doesn't want you knowing the truth. He doesn't want he doesn't want the deep state truth getting to you. And the deep state truth is that spirits exist. Uh, they can only watch HBO. Uh, or, well, uh-huh. HBO now, but hopefully in the future. And podcasts. Yeah, yeah and, they listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't think it's written in stone. Like I don't, I don't think it's like spirit law. You're only allowed to watch podcasts at HBO. I just think that's what the budget yeah. for the afterlife has. Yes. Yeah, well, they have they have a, a an upload speed problem. Everybody talks about download speeds. <laughs> Heaven has a real upload speed problem. Yeah, um, I will say, yeah, uh, uh, something about um, t- turning things to reality, something about uploading or downloading uh, information into our dimension. Uh, yeah, you do certainly lose some latency speed. It's kind of like uh, like recording uh, from a really weak Wi-Fi signal. Sometimes you're limited by what you can do. You know what the worst part about heaven is? Is uh, the heaven internet doesn't have porn. Like and uh-huh. it's a firewall you can't get around. Like if you type boobs into heaven internet, it just shows you a picture of you typing the word boobs. That's in. a problem. You went like to, you're the boob. You went to Christian heaven, which is actually way worse. Uh, it's actually way worse than Christian hell. Christian hell, way cool. Yes, it's like Vegas. It's awesome. Yeah. Christian heaven sucks ass. It's like it's like Utah. It's like Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah. I, I advise you to try logging into heaven from Mexico or uh. Uh, uh, one of the Asian countries. That's much better. Oh, dear. And speaking of the Asian country of this show, I, of course, am your host, comedian and archaeologist, Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is my not-at-all-Asian comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? It's right. I am not Asian at all, which makes my love and almost religious worship of uh, anime or hentai uh, almost mm-hmm. like like I'm I'm basically have said that I I have eschewed the the uh, philosophers and cultural traditions of the Western society that I was born into, all for that sweet sweet tentacle penetration. You know what I'm talking about? That's where the true wisdom is. Those were the true wisdom seekers. Confucius, a lack of tentacle porn. You know, I know there's a lot of different types of nerd out there. I I've never been like the anime nerd, but I always found it funny that like grown. Adult men in America are like, oh, I'm going to watch these Japanese cartoons and I'm going to make them like my personality. Like, that's who I am. I'm a guy who likes anime. And it's like, do you think there's the equivalent? Like, is there like a a 32-year-old Japanese banker who just loves old Scooby-Doo episodes? And like, he makes it his whole personality and stuff. He can't wait to meet his Thelma, you know? 
You, first off, you joke, but uh, there are like rockabilly cults or not or rockabilly. Mm. There's, a, there's a rockabilly scene in Japan. There's a lot of things that like like American culture that we take for granted. Lots of pieces of Americana, but they're over there making it an entire personality. And secondly, just because I love Shonen Jump anime and wear my shirts about them regularly and regularly try to talk to women about who would win in a fight, Vegeta, Piccolo, or Naruto. Like maybe maybe that's just because my openers, my openers in the game of sex are different from yours. Doesn't mean I base my entire personality around it. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you you claim to know art, but if I tried to tell you about Haruko's tentacle adventure, you would know nothing about it. Yet you yet you would claim to 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 throw around other artist names like Picasso or Rembrandt and expect me to know them. Oh, and if you want to be the Rembrandt of your generation, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon. You can get a whole nother episode of Science Faction every single week. But for now, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. I had time to introduce myself today, but I sacrificed it to promote the arts, mm-hmm. uh, the arts yes. in in hentai, um, and uh-huh. and yeah, I'm not gonna like let's put Bobby just because somebody likes Shonen Jump anime, just because I could name many of the characters from a One Punch Man, One Punch Man to a uh, to a My Hero Academia to a to, to even a Dragon Ball Z, just because I could name and could uh, have favorite protagonists from each of those shows, doesn't mean that I have made it my personality. You like Star Wars, and aside from training your son in the use of the dark side of the Force, I don't know that you have made it your personality. That's a very Luke thing for you to say. Which Luke? Young Luke or old Luke? <laughs> <laughs> New trilogy Luke? Because there's a very different bit. There's a huge swing of philosophy. I just thought of a great idea. What if we created like a... a brand of toothbrushes and popsicles for the Japanese market that were all tentacle shaped. Like the, the <laughs> popsicle itself resembles a large, like, like undulating tentacle. And like the, the toothbrush could be one of the vibrating ones. And it just like shakes, it flops around the entire time. You act as if there's not already uh, octopus or squid flavored a toothpaste and or a lubricant to go with the product you've just mentioned in Asia. They're not as repressed as you and American Salt Lake City heaven is in America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. They're fucking the squids we wish we could. All right. On to article number one, a genetic backflow. A genetic backflow is this 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 sounds this sounds like like a scientific way to say coming or something like this sounds like like a scientific hello I uh, uh, hope the end numbers and the sample size are big enough to handle my sample flow or genetic backflow. It's incredibly immature. Of course, a genetic backflow is a scientific term for a human centipede. <laughs> genetic backflow sounds like, come on, baby, uh, I need you to finish me off. I can get blue balls on genetic backflow. <laughs> That's where cum comes out your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking autistic ass scientist at NASA would have cum coming out of their mouths because it's never gone anywhere. I'm pretty sure like they have to have a class on how to masturbate at NASA. 
I get emails all the time from our listeners who are like, you guys, you guys did like a, a 90 second tirade on some random scientific phrase two and a half years ago. And now every time that comes up at work for me, which is like every other day, I first think of your disgusting. So someone somewhere in a genetics lab for the next, I don't know, year or two will chuckle under their breath every time the term genetic backflow is mentioned. God willing. <laughs> it's just, just yeah, that that was a crazy human centipede movie. <laughs> so so there's a bit- mom and pops. Calm. It's a wonderful life. Human centipede movie. Yeah. Uh, so this is very interesting. This is a super interesting article that answers some long-held questions in the study of how humans occupied the world. We've talked before about the occupation of the Americas. One of the things that's like the most interesting thing possible to me. It's one of the last great stories, you know. And we have these, you know, different subgroups that mix together in northern, northeastern Eurasia. You know, thirty some odd thousand years ago, they get genetically isolated in Beringia, a now submerged continent in between the two, uh, North America and, and East Asia, and they live there for a long time before some segment of them make their way back down into the Americas, and a couple of hundred of those people become all the natives of North and South America. Super, super interesting story. Again, I think one of the, the most interesting stories in human history. This actually looks at the genetic evidence from East Asia itself. It looks at ancient DNA from Asia to analyze a few things. The first thing it did is it identified a previously totally unknown group of uh, humans that were living around 7,500 uh, to 10,000 years ago in the Atlai Mountains. And that's kind of like this 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 nexus of movement around Asia. You we, We've talked about it a bunch because it also happens to be around where the Denisovan cave is. And so it's that in that kind of like that part of Siberia that touches all the different other areas of Asia and people kind of come through there. So you did some DNA. The uh, Underground Depression on... Railroad. Yes, it is. Uh, we, we, <laughs> it is how we ship uh, depression all throughout uh, Asia is through the Siberian Railroad. You have uh, mentioned just now. So th- this is actually part of the, the largest ancient DNA study that focuses on Asia. And it, it has ancient skeletons from that area and Siberia, some from the Kamchatka Peninsula, which kind of comes down uh, off the far east of Russia. right before I played it, Risk. The Bering Strait. I know where Kamchatka yeah. is. I've lost. It's like literally the only reason people know it. I have lost. I think it's also the reason we say the Ukraine. <laughs> it's entire entire armies. I've lost cannons, cavalry units, and even infantry units. Uh, all three at a time, rolling five dice in Kamchatka. Don't lecture yeah. me about Kamchatka unless you've been there. Really, you're from Kamchatka? Where'd you serve, homie? Where'd you go? Where'd you? <laughs> Well, what this article found is it finally answered one of the biggest questions we've had in the, that human occupation, in the story of the Americas and Beringia. It's something I've wondered out loud a bunch of times and, a, and intensely a bunch, but we just didn't have the DNA, which is we know that people from Beringia came in and occupied the Americas. I'm imagining your wife stopping a lovemaking session and as you're like pondering these things out loud. <laughs> just, uh, yes. Oh, all the time. I'm like, I wonder if there's a genetic influx from the North America back into Asia in ancient times. Bobby, we're trying to conceive. Stop. Oh, damn it. The ovulation clock window just rang like the buzzer, like, like in a fucking NBA game. Now we have to reset <laughs> the clock. Try again next month. No, that's just my cum buzzer. <laughs> I had that surgically implanted. I don't want to. I don't want a woman confused. I don't want her thinking, hey, did he come or did he not? Because then they stop working for it. Yeah. Uh, hey, let me just assure you. Uh, let me uh, and let me answer the questions to you uh, that Dang! all the that all the ladies ask about the buzzer. Yeah, it hurts a lot. 
<laughs> Sorry, ignore that last ding that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are oh, you guys are conceiving. Oh, it's so great. It's it's. <laughs> So we've known from genetic studies that the obviously the Americas were occupied by people from Asia 20 some odd thousand years ago, but also that there have been subsequent migrations in specifically those that encompass all of the Arctic people who, you know, 5000 years ago, there was a group called the Dorset that came in from kind of the Siberia area and became some of the pre Eskimo natives of that area, pre Inuit natives of that area. And then again, you know, somewhere between 1500 to 1000 years ago, the group that would become the Inuit or the Eskimo, depending on where you are, they came in and reoccupied from Asia. So we know there's been at least three, if not multiple migrations from Asia into the Americas. And the question was always, did it go the other way? And I always imagined it had to have. You had these people who were using maritime technology, skim boats, they're along the coast. You know, Russia and Alaska, as Dr. Sarah Palin has told us, is not that far apart. So presumably we would think that there would be gene flow back. We've just never had the evidence for it, likely because we didn't have ancient DNA studies in East Asia. This is the first major one, and it proves that indeed there was multiple genetic migrations from North America back into Asia, including one a couple of thousand years ago and one as early as 1500, but probably closer to around 2000 years ago. We know that natives from North America, we now know this for the very first time, natives from North America made their way from the Americas back into Eurasia. That makes complete sense. Listen, yeah, while most of the uh, Manifest Destiny wagons were, were heading west, a couple of them were like, hey, I tried it. Uh, the open range is not for me. Heading back east. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, well, like- Ironically, by going west. <laughs> yeah, we had we did have to go the long way. There's no Turns out yeah. there's no wagon actually heading east. Yes. They just come out here and die. This is so cool. By the way, this this larger ancient genetics article wasn't the only discovery. It's just, to me, the most fascinating. But there were also, you know, we, we showed that two previously known groups had created a third otherwise unknown group in ancient times in this one part of Siberia. It showed the presence of the same DNA that was in Jomon hunter-gatherers from the Japanese archipelago out in the mainland Eurasia. It, it showed a bunch of really, really cool stuff, including people of very different uh, genetic backgrounds living in the same communities and stuff. But most importantly, at least to me, it shows definitive evidence of multiple waves of migration back into Asia from North America. And this is just absolutely amazing. So here's a quote from the article. While migration from North Asia to the Americas was thought to be largely one way, the researchers found that Native American-related ancestry contributed about 50% to Northeastern Siberian DNA, dating back to the Iron Age, the gene flow which probably occurred between 5,500 and 4,400 years ago. Gene flow, that's a good science porn name. Genetic sharing was also observed among present-day Koryaks, an, an indigenous group in the Kamchatka Peninsula, and is estimated to have occurred as recently as 1,500 years ago. So that's a separate event. Very, very cool. That's right, Russia. We're settling you. We're tired of <laughs> we're, we're tired of all your <laughs> shenanigans. That's right. We've been sending deep cover agents for thousands of years into Russia to prepare for this Ukraine invasion. You think twice, Putin. This is so interesting. It fills in the like little piece of human history. It fills in migrations, but it also answers a question we have talked about on this show that, by the way, isn't like an answered question. It's not like we haven't found the research yet. It is one I am waiting research for researchers to answer, which is to zero in on different human genetic isopoints. Now, we talked about this 
as one huge part of a show. It's still one I think about all the time, about, you know, the last time we were all connected and had a common ancestor. Well, for that to occur, you cannot have long-term genetic isolation. And this proves that indeed our estimates at a human genetic iso point at only a few thousand years ago is probably true because the entire world was indeed one interconnected group that was breeding. Now, there might still be some questions about certain parts of like Australia or something, but we do believe we know that those places were visited. And so it makes sense that there would have been a continuous breeding population. This helps show that even with the great isolation of the Americas, that there was gene flow that went both ways back and forth. And we are all insanely closely related. Except for those dirty Aussies. They're not one of us. They're not part of the Like if aliens came down tomorrow and was like, hey, we have a solution. We want to take all the humans away from Earth and put you on a better Earth and give you a chance. I'd say not the Aussies. They, listen, th- th- you can say a lot of things about a lot of groups of people and most of them are racist or untrue. But I'm going to say this right now about people from Australia. These motherfuckers wear shorts at the most inappropriate times. That's why you can't bring them out into space with you. You bring them out into space, motherfuckers could be floating around a pair of thigh-high dungarees because he doesn't know it's goddamn appropriate to wear pants in this situation, sir. Also, by the way, hey, everybody from Australia, let me ask you something. When you're reading a word and it ends in the word A, in school, do when your teacher's like, what noise does this make? Do you all go, R? Because you add R's to every fucking word that ends in A, and there's no goddamn R there. Oh, we don't need it to Sheila, which is what you're totally being right now, a bitchy Sheila. Sheila? Sheila. God damn it, it's a word for... You know what? Oh, you don't speak fluent Australian, clearly. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Super, super cool. I love this story. This, this, this answer is one of those questions that I have had for a very long time. A lot of people have had for a really long time, and we all thought it was likely the case, but we had no evidence of it. And this is... Really, really cool. Article number two is tire dust, the DDT of our generation. I'm assuming you're not referring to the wrestling move and are instead referring to the highly no, toxic. Oh, wow. Well, then then I'd love to see it. Yeah, no, I have another I have another wrestling move I call tire dust. And I think it's going to be just as popular. <laughs> it's, it's actually the name is a euphemism. I fart in a dude's face. Right. He can't move. <laughs> it's called getting tire dusted. <laughs> it's like, oh, wrestling. It's like one of those moves where, like, everything's really overacted. Like, you know, like, somehow this yeah. this other fighter who's in, who's into the ring to do me harm lets me fart into his face and then goes into a daze and allows me to bounce off the ropes a couple times. If wrestling's fake, they prove that. Yeah. No, though, one time I did do uh, I did do a tire dust to some guy and he had a legit epileptic seizure in the ring, but I played it real well. No one even knew. Yeah. Well, to be fair, you had eaten a lot of Michelins that year. So there was legitimate tire dust. And yes. Well, I, I also ate a lot of strobe lights that year. So. <laughs> wow. It's amazing that they still strobe. After being digested. Yeah, well, when you fart, when the <laughs> anus opens, it's, it's just like a like a lighthouse spotlight, a flashing light that comes out. Trust me, it's not enough to play sports with. You're always going to be catching no. just a second up to the no. to the previous flatulent uh, flash. Yeah, indeed. All right, so this is a really interesting article, and I wanted to use it for a few reasons. One is it's a totally different source than I normally use. I I have like uh, varied media attentions. Obviously I read literally hundreds of science news articles a week. So like Google has figured that out and they feed me a bunch of science stuff. 
But those of you guys who, who kind of listen in probably know that I'm also a bit of a car nerd. And so I read a lot about cars and new cars coming out and stuff like that. And this is actually from a car website. I thought they did an amazing job. They talked about a discovery we talked about, which was only made a year ago, despite involving a contaminant that has been in the environment abundantly for 50 plus years. We only figured out what was going on about a year ago. We covered it on this show. And this was actually a really good review of it done by a car review website, one that I really like called Jalopnik, and I read all the time. So I, anyway, the source of it was interesting. But second of all, I think the, the content was that it was worth reminding. So, Damien, do you remember DDT? Do you remember what the background was? Do you remember what it did? Uh, yes, uh, I believe it was an insecticide that we used that uh, just went downstream. After we used it, it had a bunch of downstream effects, um, uh, the, the the most notable of which was assassinating the the, the delicious shells of our uh, of uh, of our of our home team's uh, mascot bird, the bald eagle. You great. That is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, we were used as a, an insecticide specifically for uh, mosquitoes. In fact, DDT is the reason that malaria does not exist in our country. It used to exist in the southeast, and it no longer does because we used a lot of DDT. But it did go through the you know the bio web and end up kind of thinning out the shells of large birds of prey, and so we stopped using it. Uh, but it caused a lot of damage to the environment before we did, and hence the analogy for this. So this is regarding a chemical we talked about when it, when this this kind of discovery first came out called 6PPD which when added to the the ozone becomes 6PPD quinone and that is the real dangerous thing this is used in tires and has been for 50 years. This isn't like a new additive we just put in. This shit has been around since NOM, right? And so this is something that we put in tires to keep the rubber from reacting with the oxygen in the environment and breaking down. It basically is a preserver of our tires. However, the 6PPD, when it gets washed off in the form of like dust and stuff from our tires and gets on the ground, then combines with the ozone, it becomes 6PPD quinone, and that gets into rivers and it's strangles coho salmon. Now, it does damage to other fish too, but the level it has to get to to damage most of them is higher than we get to, but for whatever reason, coho salmon are incredibly vulnerable to it. The LD50 on them is really, really, really low, really trace amounts. We didn't know what was going on for a long time. Starting in the 90s, we would look at salmons and see salmon runs, and every once in a while, in certain places, the salmon would run, and they'd start, suddenly start swimming in circle, circles up near the surface and gasping before they died. And we were like, what the fuck is this? And they did a bunch of research trying to figure out what it was. They correlated it to, oh, this is happening where there's a lot of runoff coming from roads, usually after storms. They figured it was then environmental contaminant, studied for literally decades before they realized it was a 6-PPD quinone that's going in there. We're still not sure exactly why it's killing the salmon, like why it's then not doing the same to trout and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it absolutely is demolishing the coho salmon populations and really causing a significant problem. And who knows what else it's doing to the rest of the environment. Yeah, I suppose this was just only having discovered some sort of like a secret fish dash for bears. Uh, I mean, like that's, that's yeah. I mean, like you're a bear who just hit the lottery when you wander into one of these uh, quinone. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Just a bunch of dead salmon, like, oh, like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure how great those salmon are for you, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm just saying that uh, that big bear is lobbying hard in Congress to make sure that nothing is yeah. done about these uh, these salmon caches that are located all throughout the forest. The grizzly version of the Koch brothers have, like, 
quietly scooped up enough shares of Goodyear to be majority stakeholders. Yeah, there's a lot of... We're doubling it! Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's been a lot of uh, dark bear money heading heading out there. Don't be expected if Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder all of a sudden take really strong stances on this, on these... Uh, on keeping big city liberals from stopping these uh, fish caches in the forest. Again, this stuff has been used in tires for 50 years. It makes up about 1% to 2% of the total weight of any given tire. And we only discovered what the fuck was going on in December of 2020. And we reported on it when we did. That's crazy. That's a huge environmental impact for 50 fucking years before we even figured out what it was that was causing it. Not that we've solved anything. We haven't solved it or anything. We just finally figured out what it was a year ago. Well, um, in a capitalist society, it's solved when the species dies. It'd be a problem if we did something to interfere with the profit motive of this, of these tire companies. These poor, uh, uh, victimless tire companies. Now, there are some attempts to make tires out of different materials. So right now, Goodyear is working on like a, a tire that's completely composite of, of much more sustainable materials. And they've actually debuted it at SEMA. And they, it looks like they want to go into full production pretty soon. So it's not just like a possibility or a thing they, they tantalizingly shake at us to get us excited. By the way, they, the new tire that they have... Uh, is made of things like recycled polyester and different parts of plants, including soybean oil, rice husk waste, and biorenewable pine tree resin. Bears don't like any of those things. This isn't going to get past Congress, Bobby. You know who runs Congress. I feel like a bear could get down on some soybean oil. I feel like if you if you had a 55-gallon drum of soybean oil, like a grizzly would be pretty happy. I, I, yeah, if I'm in the middle of the forest, I'm a grizzly, and I stumble upon a uh, a, a, a oil drum filled with soybean oil, yeah, that's cool. But, yeah. you, but you're getting your average grizzly voter to vote against the possibility of salmon caches? That's the thing. Only the top 1% or 1% of bears find these salmon caches, but one of the big voting things, one of the things they use to convince poor bear rural bears bear voters is that maybe one day they could be the fish billionaire and and through that they that's how the, the, their whole messaging works that and they always bring up uh the second bear amendment which is the right to human arms <laughs> if i don't fashion humans arms into nunchucks to defend my cave <laughs> Tired of that damn Sacramento bear coming out, stealing all of my human arms. First off, you're more likely to uh, human arm ninchuck a family member, a bear family member, than you ever are yeah. to use Well, everybody sees the human arm nunchucks in like Salmon Weekly magazine or something. But when you finally do order it, you smack yourself in the head 10 times before you even look cool doing it. <laughs> the statistics are not in the human arm nunchuck industry's favor. Uh, that's why they've actually, the Bear, Bear Congress has outlawed the study of human arm nunchucks. So we'll never get the true statistics. I mean, it's crazy that in, you know, here in the state of California, you could go off and buy yourself, you know, a, a, an AR-15 style weapon, but it's illegal to walk down the street with human arm nunchucks. It actually dates back to the Watts riots in the 1960s <laughs> in which African-American bear martial arts gyms came out with human arm nunchucks to fight the bear police and it became a big thing. So they outlawed those and uh, bear brass knuckles. They still to this day are outlawed despite the fire 
firearms are legal. Yeah, California also its its assault weapons ban actually started for a very also uh, uh, racist anti black bear reason as well. They were all for all the bears becoming armed, but as soon as the black bears preached that same uh, uh, pro second human armed ninja <laughs> rhetoric, then bam, uh, the uh, the the ban was hit. Oh, dear. Uh, thank you, audience, for joining us for Science Faction 647, where you learned all about the genetic backflow from North America into Eurasia in ancient times and how tire dust might be the DDT of our generation. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 648. How you doing, mate? It's Hugh Jackman here to let you know that despite what you might have heard in a popular comedy science podcast, I can assure you of two things. That shorts are appropriate for any type of weather. And Australians are almost people too. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs>